thank you. I am C, and I am a compulsive overeater and 100-pounder. And um, this is not my first step recovery program, and I'll come back to that. I was raised as an only child. Uh, my mother and stepfather had a son when I was in junior high school, uh, but we were quite isolated, didn't have any other family in the area, and they were unfortunately um, both alcoholics and violent and chaotic. Not all the time. And when I was a little girl, it wasn't always bad, but it is a progressive disease. So someone is unmuted. So by the time um, I was in junior high school, I was shocked to know that another child was going to be coming into this chaotic, uh, unfortunate family. What I remember early on is having food insecurity. That's what I remember. Uh, My mother, neither of my parents were very demonstrative or emotional people. My my stepfather, my daddy, I called him, because he was the only daddy I knew for a long time. Um, When he was drunk, he was one of those gushy, huggy-feely kind of drunks, but I didn't really want that because he was drunk. And my mom was not an emotional person, drunk or sober, except for anger. I mean, they did anger, God knows. And I just remember being so relieved when when I was fed, um, when I, because when my mama was, was drunk, I, I just, I learned to fend for myself. I mean, thank heavens for uh, cereals because I just learned to fend for myself at a young age. So when she was in her right mind and sober and cooked meals and, and to her credit, she tried to be that 1950s housewife. She really did. And when she was in her right mind, she tried to put the dinners on the table and we watched the evening news together and tried to be a normal family, but it would never hold. At some point, a six-pack of beer and a bottle of bourbon would come in the house and be quickly consumed, and then it was back to the liquor store for the real supply, and then chaos would ensue. And that is how I grew up, um, knowing that the chaos had something to do with the alcohol and praying that it would never come in the house and being terrified when it did because things were going to go really bad. And and they went really bad. I mean, these are people who put one another in the hospital. That's the kind of violent they were. Lots and lots and lots of police came to our home. It was domestic violence central. So food became a source of nurture and security for me. When I was being fed, uh, that was an act of nurture. I wouldn't call it love, but it was an act of nurture. And so early on, I came to associate food with nurture. Food meant everything was okay. Food meant that, you know, mama was sane and sober. Food meant that there was money in the house to buy it because there came a point where my stepfather disappeared for several months. And to this day, I don't know where he was, but I've come to think that maybe he was locked up in the brick because he was gone for a few months, and then he just showed up one day like nothing had ever happened, and my mother never said where he had been. I think he was probably in the brick, something alcohol-related. But we literally ran out of food. There was no food, and my mother walked to the social service office to get us some, some food stamps and some help. So food was associated with nurture and safety and security. And I don't remember eating to numb my feelings, um, certainly not as a child, But certainly by the time I became an adult and when food was becoming my solution, I don't know that it was so much about numbing my feelings as I just wanted to feel good. I felt bad and I wanted to feel good and I knew what would help me feel good. 
something that was cold and rich and creamy would always make me feel good. And there were other things as well. Um, my top weight that I know of was 291 pounds. I am tall, so that helps. But when I was a kid, I was skinny. My mother and stepfather are naturally skinny people. They were very judgmental about overweight people. My mom was 5'6", and she weighed about 115 pounds, 120 at the most, until she got pregnant uh, in her late 30s with my brother. And even then, I mean, the most I think she ever got to, even after he was born, was like 130, and she thought that was so fat. So I grew up with these two naturally thin people who, who had really judgment against fat people. And so when I, by the time I was 15, I picked up some, you know, probably 10, 15 extra pounds. And there was, you know, a lot of comment made about how I was getting fat. And so, you know, I thought, wow, I'm 150 pounds. I was 5'10". I'm 150 pounds. I'm fat. So I lost that weight, and then I got out of those two people's house. I just got out of there when I was 17 and, and struck out on my own, and I was scared all the time. I was just scared. I found an older guy um, because I was just scared. I mean, I had my own little apartment. I was barely making it, and I was just scared. I couldn't admit I was scared, but I was scared. And he liked skinny women, so I was a skinny woman, and I was also modeling at the time part-time. I was a college student in modeling. And so that's ultra, ultra, ultra thin. I got pregnant while I was in college, and they told me to eat so the baby would be okay. And boy, oh, boy, did I eat. And that was the first time in my life that I gained a tremendous amount of weight. But it all came off after he was born. I was young and very fit. Models aren't just skinny. They have to be physically fit. Um, and so it came off, and, and I was fine for a long time, except that it was a bad relationship, an abusive relationship, and whenever I wanted to feel better, I knew what would make me feel better. It was always going to involve sugar, and there was something that was going to be really rich and creamy and cold, uh, and it just became my salve. I also found other things to make me feel better, and one of them was liquid. And that was my first 12-step program. And I can remember back in the day, back in the 80s, um, I can remember those old-timers saying, all you needed for life was found in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was all right there. And for a long time, I, I believed that. I subscribed to that. And I thought, well, I, I don't know what it is with these people with all these multiple 12-step programs. What's that about? Because everything you need is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so for a long time, AA was my only program. I relapsed after 10 years because I hadn't been working the program the last two years. It's amazing I stayed sober because I wasn't working the program. My life was so great after being pitiably, incomprehensibly demoralized and my boss sending me to rehab by, after eight years of doing everything that led to this new transformed life and all the success that I was experiencing, I thought, well, Obviously, alcohol is not a factor in my life anymore. And I was working full-time, going to graduate school full-time. I was a single mom of this little boy that I had had when I was in college, and everything was great. And so I stopped going to meetings. I stopped working the program. I stopped doing service. I stopped all that stuff. So it's a miracle that I didn't drink for two years, but the time came when I did. And I was back out there for seven years, seven years trying to convince myself that I could drink like other people. So I, I went, got a, after that graduate school, I got changed careers and got a, another job and was doing really well because I'm really good at what I do for a living, whatever it is. 
I really put myself into it. And uh, it was it was a new employer who sent me to rehab. And uh, and I had been sober this time for 21 years. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, alcoholics drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol is what it says in the big book. And what I know today is that I eat. <laughs> Compulsive eaters eat essentially because they like the effect produced by food. And I, and I have heard people say that they don't get it about the big book. They don't understand why we use the AA big book because they're not alcoholics. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is talk a bit about uh, my recovery in terms of Chapter 3 in the big book, which is more about alcoholism. And when we read from the big book in meetings, as part of the meeting, we do not change the words because we promise that we will not do that when we are given permission to use the AA literature. However, as part of my share, I will change the words because I know this book. I've been living with this book for a long time, and it's very easy for me to just automatically change drinking, liquor, whatever, to compulsive eating, um, food, whatever it is. My brain just automatically makes those changes in there because it's talking about me, and I didn't want to admit that I needed this program, which is why it took me so long to get here. I just turned 67. Because um, I didn't want this. I, I just really wanted to believe that I could do this myself. I wasn't that bad, except that I'm more than 100 pounds overweight. And I have uh, released and regained uh, more than 50 pounds three from the age of, I was almost 50. And I thought, I got to get this weight off. This is crazy. I shouldn't, you know, this is insane. I don't want to be one of those older people struggling with weight. And I lost 68 pounds and was feeling really great about myself and, and all of that and got a big promotion and moved. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden the fear was back. What if they figure it out? What if they find out I'm not as smart or as competent as they think I am? What if all the accolades or I've just fooled everybody? I mean, I wasn't saying any of that, but it was all back. But there was still lots of sweet, creamy, cold stuff in the stores, uh, and I found it all. Um, I kept that weight off for a little while, went back to school to get yet another degree because I'm a nerd. I went back to school to get my doctorate and put about half of that weight back on. And my son said, well, you know, mom, give yourself a break. It's not like you were just sitting there eating bonbons and doing nothing. I got another promotion and moved again. And the weight came back on. So that happened within 10 years between the ages of 50 and 60. I released 60 plus pounds three times, gained it all back. And each time I gained back more, which is what got me here. My abstinence state is 7:21:21. I finally just surrendered and realized I know how to diet. I know how to lose weight. Severely restrict and exercise two hours a day. By golly, that'll get the weight off. Yes, it will. But it's not sustainable. And that wasn't the issue. I mean, yes, it's about the food, but it's not about the food. So in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, most of us have been willing to admit we were real compulsive overeaters. No one likes to think she is bodily and mentally different from her fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers, our eating careers, have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could eat like other people. God knows I have done that, and I have resented people who can eat whatever they want and not gain weight. I have also resented people who could eat whatever they want and stop 
when they want and stay stopped and not think about the food anymore. How do they do that? The book continues the idea that sometime that somehow excuse me that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his overeating is the great obsession of every abnormal compulsive eater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. I just didn't want to believe I was that bad. I just needed to hunker down. I just needed to get a grip. I just needed to release some of the stress from work and life. I just didn't want to be an Overeaters Anonymous. I could do this myself, except that I couldn't. Back to the book. We learned that we had to finally concede to our innermost selves that we were compulsive eaters. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. We compulsive eaters are men and women who have lost the ability to control our eating. We know that no real compulsive eater ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man or woman that compulsive eaters of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. When I dragged myself in here and and um, somewhere in the summer of um, 2021, I didn't want to be here. I had tried oh, a very briefly way back when, when I was maybe like 15 or 20 pounds overweight and thought I was fat, and I didn't like it, and I couldn't remember why. And after I listening to you all on the lines for a while, I, re- I realized, ah, gray sheet. I don't remember the color, but I do remember this lady saying she was my temporary sponsor and giving me the sheet of paper. And I looked at it and thought, I'm not doing this. I don't think I really like you people. And I'm, I'm not doing that. I know how to lose weight. And, and I did. And I lost the weight and it wasn't an issue for a while. But emotionally, emotionally, I was just so torn up inside and the fear that it stalked me all my life the fear and the insecurity, although on the outside, I look like, I sound like I have it all together. I work hard at that, except, except it was always there. That fear was always there. I drank to it. I drugged to it. I ate to it. And so I came in here and I immediately got into service and I immediately got into service because I didn't want to be here. But I knew that being in service would keep me here. It would keep me in the middle of the herd. And I volunteered to be a speaker getter because I knew that would make me have to reach out to people and get to know people and pick up the dog on telephone, which I hate to do, um, because I wanted to recover. I say in 12-step recovery, wherever I am, I'm in 12-step recovery because I want to be free. I want to be free. And I have not done the extreme radical restricting, and my body is so arthritic. I have regular arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. My body won't even do that two hours of crazy exercising that I was doing 17 years ago. It won't do it anymore. And so I now exercise because it's good for my body, and I feel so much better, and my joints are so grateful. 
I was not trying to lose the 100 pounds in six months. I just wasn't. I knew that I needed to be on a slow roll. My higher power is very clear about that so that what I'm doing is sustainable and the weight is just gradually coming off at a slow and steady pace, and I'm quite comfortable with that. My 50th high school reunion is next year, and I look forward to being there to see people I haven't seen since our 20th. Uh, And I'm not worried about whether or not I'm a size fill in the blank. I'm not worried about what weight I will be. I, I, I want to be the healthiest that I can be when I get there. It's not about that this time. I want to be free from the compulsion to eat all the time, which was my pattern. I was not a, uh, a volume eater, and I didn't even really binge all that often because I, I, I ate like I drank, which was all the time, all day long. And, and the drinking I, I drank at night, you know, in the middle of the night. I had a drink by my bed. And that's how I ate. I didn't have food by my bed, though. But if I was conscious, I just ate, 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 ate. If I finished a project, I ate to celebrate. If I was stressed by something, I ate because I was stressed. If I was bored, I ate. I just ate, 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 ate all the time. And so my absence is, is very simple, three meals a day, at least three hours apart, nothing in between, and a snack if I wanted. Weight and measured meals is very simple. When I got abstinent uh, in July of 2021, I, I mean, I wept that I can eat just three times a day, weight and measured meals, and nothing in between. And not be thinking about the food, the food, the food, the food. What can I eat? What can I eat? What's in the refrigerator? What do I need to go to the store? Was a miracle. Was an absolute miracle. Uh, more about alcoholism goes on to say, and I've got two minutes left, so I'll finish with this. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make compulsive eaters of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with compulsive overeating agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out, excuse me, a normal um, eater out of a compulsive overeater. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So what I propose for a topic tonight is have you surrendered? Have you surrendered to the fact that, yes, our bodies are different than other people's bodies and our minds are different from other people's minds and that the the hope for freedom from compulsive overeating and all that goes with that is in that surrender. So I'm C and I live in Central Maryland. So here's my email, C-E-E, Central, M as in Mary, D as in David at gmail.com. C-E-E, central, M as in Mary, D as in David at gmail.com. Thank you for letting me share and I pass.